Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. All right, let's go. Everybody said, please do. Let me tell you, when I leave here, I'm going back camping. So I'm going to be really long. <laughs> I'm going to be really, really long. Right? No, nah, I'm not. Yes, I am. Ephesians chapter 6, we've been doing a series, a series on the spiritual armor of God and, and, and taking a look at that spiritual armor. And um, so we've been calling it Stand Firm. And what we stand firm is, isn't the imagery, although it's nice to see the imagery, but we stand firm in um, truth. We stand firm in righteousness, peace, faith, and today we're going to look at another one. So let's read the scripture. All right. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Why do we have the armor of God? So that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. How many of you know the devil has a scheme? How many know he hates you? How many know he wants to scheme against you? God has a plan for you. The enemy has a plan against you. And his schemes are to plan that which is against you. All right? And so Paul continues. Paul continues. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Again, I stop here every time. Your problem isn't another person. Oh, it might be manifesting it through another person. All right? It's against the rollers, the powers, the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness, in heavenly places. All right? And then we go on. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And <laughs> this thing is on delay this morning. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Paul talks, he says, okay, here's the deal. There's a scheme against you. This scheme against you is not flesh and blood. This scheme against you is from the rulers and the authorities of the evil places, all right? And in this scheme, you stand firm. And the way that you stand firm is you stand firm in truth. You stand firm in righteousness, peace, faith. And now he says, and oh, by the way, put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the helmet of salvation. Now, how many of you know what yesterday was? What was yesterday? Saturday. What happened yesterday on Saturday? The first Saturday of college football, right? Okay, and lots of people were glued to televisions all over the place. And everybody knows when you turn on the TV and you watch that football, how many of you know that all of a sudden you can recognize teams by their uniforms and by their helmets? All right, like for instance, how many of you know that when you see a white helmet with nice blue stripes on it with nothing else, how many of you know that's who is that? Penn State. When you see a, a red one with white stripes and a white A on it, you see the demonic team. Okay, now, all right. All right, so, so you, you know, you see them. And those helmets serve a variety of purposes. Protection, most of all, first and foremost. 
Secondly, how many know they're all used as an identification? That when they held that helmet on, you know who that team is. And I think about it. Even, I, think, I believe it's even the NFL Pro Bowl where they all wear the same uniform but wear their own helmets. And they show you now you know who that is and what team they're from. And, and so Paul says, he's using this imagery, but it's not of a football helmet. He's using it as a Roman soldier helmet. All right. Now, think about this for just a moment. So Paul's using this imagery. Where would he get this imagery? Well, again, some say it's from the Romans. Some say it's from the Roman soldiers. And I believe there's truth to that. But can I take you to a scripture this morning? Let me me take you to a scripture. You you see, there is a scripture that we're going to go to. It's in Isaiah 59. So if you could turn there. And while you're turning there, let me set the premise of this scripture today, of this message today, that salvation is a helmet that protects us against the schemes of the devil. All right, so what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, listen, salvation protects you. It is a helmet that protects you against the schemes of the devil. Now, in Isaiah chapter 59, it's an interesting portion of scripture, and and it goes something like this, all right? Um, Verse two says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So let's stop right there for just a moment. Isaiah is speaking to the people of God. God is speaking to them through the prophet Isaiah. And he's condemning them and he is convicting them over their sin. And what he says is your iniquities have made a separation from you and God. Let me start here. Understand that I'm setting this up because I'm going to take you back to that helmet in a few moments. First of all, let us understand the principle right off the bat. How many know sin separates us from God? You can go through the scripture and over and over and over again, you will see it. In the garden, you had Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, perfect, created, perfect environment, perfect atmosphere. God gave them everything they needed to be successful, everything they needed to fulfill the mandate until the moment they sinned. And what did that sin do? It separated them from God. God says, now, I cannot allow you to live here. I'm going to drive you from my presence. It was not God who separated himself from you. It was sin that caused us to separate from God. It's a separation. That scripture goes on and says, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that you don't hear. For your hands are defiled with blood. Your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood. Your tongue mutters wickedness. Let me say this to you this morning. I don't care who you are this morning. I don't care what family you were born into, what situation you were born into. Every one of us were born into sin, separated from God. Every one of us was separated from God in need of a Savior. All right, so, this, so understand this principle. Sin separates man from God, which then puts us in an unsaved condition, which puts us in a vulnerable position, which puts us in a situation where we need delivered, rescued, saved, whatever words you want to use. Now, watch this. So then it goes on, a little bit further on this scripture. Then it says, therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. All right, think about this. So sin, sin separates us from God. But you know what separation from God does? Separation from God leads to futility. How was your life in sin? 
How was that, that gone for you whenever you rebelled against God? Okay, I'm going to go find somebody that knows. <laughs> you know, you were supposed to be up here. I just want you to know. So, so Marcus, have you ever been separated from God? Absolutely. What caused it? Sin. Sin? A lot of it. A lot, <laughs> a lot of it, yeah, right? Yeah. And that sin separated you from God. How was that season? Terrible. Terrible. Why? Because I couldn't see God. I couldn't hear from God. You couldn't, couldn't see. You couldn't hear. God. Yeah, because you couldn't find him. And also, it made me feel like I couldn't believe there was a God. And you couldn't believe. <laughs> his sin caused him to want to believe there wasn't a God. When it was his sin that separated him from the God who saved and redeemed him. All right? You see, sin, but, but the problem is we don't understand sometimes that we're in this season of futility. We're running around and saying, why isn't this working? Why isn't that working? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? Let me say very boldly this morning, for some of us, it's because we're living in sin. Oh, but we're in the church. Nobody does that. You want to bet? All right, listen to what the scripture says. He says that we, he says we hoped for light, but all we found was darkness. For brightness, but all we got was gloom. We grope around like blind men trying to find something. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at midday. We're like dead men among those who are living. We growl around like bears. We moan sadly like doves. Have you ever met somebody who was giving you the woe is me and they're the ones that's caused the woe is me? Like, I'm just, I'm just telling you, I'm going to, like, like, I have counsel with people. They're giving, I'm, I'm, and I'm not, I don't lack compassion. But sometimes you just got to call it what it is. And sometimes you got to look at people and say it's because it's sin. Plain and simple. It's sin. And it's the fruit of sin. It's not the fruit of righteousness. It's the fruit of, and it's not even the devil's fault. It's yours. It's mine. Right? It leads to a season of futility in our life. But watch what happens. Then there's a shift in this passage of scripture in Isaiah 59 that what happens is then they begin to respond and they say, for our transgressions are multiplied before you, meaning God, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities. And then they go on and they say, transgressing and denying the Lord. And we turned away from our God. We spoke oppression and revolt. We conceived in and we uttered uh, uh, from the heart lying words. You, you see, here's what happened for the people. God said, this is what happened. Your iniquity has separated you from me. Your iniquity has caused me to hide my place from you, hide my face from you. And then they said, but, but and that, that season was a season of futility where we groped around for darkness and we couldn't find our way. And then it came to a place where they looked at God in this, where they had humility, confession, and repentance. And how many know when you come to God in humility, confession, and repentance, God draws near? How many know he, he rejects the proud and then he braces the humble? You have children. When you had children and they disobeyed, and you brought correction into their life. How many know you oftentimes minimize that correction if they came with the right spirit? One of you. The rest of you are just mean-hearted tyrants. You see, because here's all I want you to understand. When the prodigal son came back to the father, the spirit of the return was more important than the return. 
How many of you can come, how many of you can come back in the wrong spirit? How many of you can come back in a spirit that isn't broken, in a spirit that isn't humble? If you got prodigals coming back into your life, they got to have the right spirit. It wasn't the fact that he came back. It was the spirit in which he came back. And now the people in Isaiah 59, God is charging them with sin. They come to a place where they recognize that season of futility. And now they're coming to God in humility and confession and repentance. And now God draws near. And watch what happens. Look at this scripture. And now the Lord saw. He's watching. He's looking. And it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice for the people. All right, let me go on. And it says this. And he saw that there was no man. And he was astonished that there was no one to intercede. He's got a people separated from God who are subject to the enemy, who are subject to the oppression and possession of their enemy caused by sin. And now they come to a place of brokenness and humility, and God looks down and God says, wait a minute, but there's nobody that can save them. There's nobody to redeem them. There's nobody to bring them to a place of salvation. And it's not so much that there wasn't anyone, but how many know there was nobody that was worthy? There was nobody that was able. So watch what happens. This is where it gets, gets, gets really good. You have to love Scripture for it to get really good. And then his own arm brought salvation to him, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on, a, on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Anybody get this? Anybody sound familiar? Anybody think this sounds a little bit like Ephesians chapter 6? Maybe Paul was using a Roman helmet, but I think, just, I think there's just a little bit that tells me this morning that Paul knew what the prophet Isaiah wrote. Now, you say, what's the point of this? The point is this. Understand something this morning. Here's God. God's looking for a way to redeem his people, save his people, bring salvation to them, rescue them from their sin, rescue from that season. And yet there's nobody that can do it. So God says, you know what? I got this. I'm going to take care of this myself. I'm going to put on a breast, my own breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to put on a helmet of salvation. And I'm going to do what nobody else can do. This is such an awesome portion of Scripture. God said, I got it. I'll do it. I'll do for man what he cannot do for himself. I will do for man what they cannot produce on their own initiative. I will put on my helmet, I will put on my armament, and I will go to battle on their behalf. Come on, we got a good God. We got a good God, all right? And, and I would suggest to you, we stand firm this morning. And the reason that we stand firm this morning with the helmet of salvation is because it is his helmet that we wear. His helmet. Boy, y'all look at me like I'm stupid this morning. Like y'all just, like, listen to me. You can't wear the helmet of salvation that God didn't fashion and form. There is no salvation from something you can form. There is no salvation from a man-made thing. There is no salvation from church attendance. There is no salvation. There's salvation that comes from one place. And he is the source of it. And he is the originator of it. You see, this morning I want you to understand something. The helmet I wear is the helmet that he wore. The helmet, that helmet, his helmet of salvation. Now watch this. It, it gets, you got to stick with me for a moment this morning. I'm going to take you on a little journey. You see, this helmet... For us to wear it, there is no helmet of salvation for us to wear 
had he not worn it first. Do you see what he, in, in Isaiah, Isaiah's telling us what God did. God said, I see the problem, I see it. You can't do anything and fix it. You're subject to your enemy, you're subject to sin, you're subject to death. You're gonna lead nothing but a life of futility and bondage and a life of darkness. But don't you worry, I'll provide for you what you can't provide for yourself. I will dress myself in righteousness. I will put on a helmet of salvation. The helmet I wear is the one that he fashioned. Now we're gonna get into that in just a moment. What does it look like? What is it made of? It's interesting to me. This is not on my notes. But if you actually study one of the helmets that people allude to in Paul's writings, it was a helmet that was made out of leather that then was covered with bronze or gold with spikes on it. But it hit me this morning. Isn't it funny that in order for a Roman soldier to put on that helmet, an animal had to die first. There was no helmet without sacrifice. There was no helmet without death. And how many know this morning there is no helmet of salvation without the death of the Lamb of God? Amen. There is no death. There is no helmet without death. So what does this Let's talk about this helmet for a moment. Let's talk, how can I explain it? It was, see the helmet was made of one piece. The helmet was crafted and, more, and then molded so it looked like this one piece of thing but it was made of different elements. How many know the Bible says we put on the helmet of salvation? What does the helmet of salvation look like? What are the components? What is it that makes up that helmet? Well, let me start with this one right here. First of all, it is a helmet of substitution. All right? Guess what? Here's the best news in the world. I was guilty. I deserve to die. Jesus took my place. He substituted, God substituted his son on my behalf. God substituted that when he said, I'm going to put on a helmet of salvation, it was God sending his redeemer, his son, to put on a helmet to take our place, to go to Calvary's cross, to die in our place. Listen to me this morning. You deserve to be on that cross. You deserve to die for your sin. We don't, we, we, we gotta stop. How, how, many, how many of you remember the days in being in school and you loved it when a substitute teacher came? Right? Because, man, the substitute teacher's here today. I can be, I can, oh, we're going to torture and torment that person. Hmm? Because somehow, with the substitute, seemed to bring more grace into the classroom. It was not grace. It was called rebellion. I mean, this morning, that you and I, because of the substitute that took our place, have grace in our life. It's a helmet of substitution. It, it is a helmet this morning. It, this helmet of salvation is a helmet of redemption. All right? It's a helmet of redemption. Okay, think about this for a moment. God, Isaiah 59, the Lord says he was going to go and pay, and he was making payment on their behalf. Who's the payment to? Sometimes I think we get this confused in Christianity. The payment for sin was not to the devil. The ransom for sin was not to the devil. How many of the devil was not the offended party? The offended party was God. The ransom that was paid was paid to God. The price that was paid was paid to God. That this morning, you, believer, you were bought with a price. 
the blood of Jesus Christ. When you're putting on the helmet of salvation, listen to me, you say, why is this important? Because you gotta understand something. The Bible said this is a protection against the schemes of the enemy. Because now, all of a sudden, what does the devil do? He starts to try to tell you other ways in which you're redeemed. Oh, you're redeemed by your works. No, you're not. I'm redeemed by my giving. No, you're not. I'm redeemed by what I do and what I don't do. No, you're not. The redemption was what was paid by Christ on Calvary. It's a helmet of justification. I'm giving you some doctrinal terms this morning. I'll get you back away from those in a moment. So this helmet of salvation is a helmet that God put on. A helmet of substitution, a helmet of redemption, and then a helmet of justification. What does that mean, this justification? It means that I now stand in front of God in a legal standing. How many know I can stand before God and he won't condemn me? I can stand before God. Now let me me say this to you this morning. Being justified before God is not saying you're innocent. It does not say that you weren't guilty. How many of you sometimes think that that's what it meant? It doesn't mean that at all. It means that you were guilty. It means that you should be condemned, but it doesn't mean that you are innocent. It means that God chose to see you as innocent through Jesus. How many of you ever give your kids grace and they still weren't innocent? I'm so glad some of you aren't my parents. I'm gonna look over here where my mother is. She didn't even raise her hand on that, right? Uh, Let me tell you a story. Many, many years ago, back when Nick was in high school, he got in a little bit of trouble in school. And then he got in this little bit of trouble in school. He was still juvenile, had to go to juvenile court. And and he had to go before this judge and so forth and so on. So we took our attorney with us. And when we went up there, I looked at the attorney before he went in. I said, now here's the deal. Do not get him off. They said, he's what? I said, don't you get him off. He's guilty. You make sure it's fair. You make sure it's just. That's why you're here. He's guilty. He's guilty. Do not get him off. Had I done that, it had been the worst thing I could have ever done for him. You see, got to understand something. God never looked at us and said, you're innocent. He didn't look at us and say, you're guiltless. No, no, God's still saying, you're guilty, but I choose to see you as innocent because Jesus paid the price. I walked away from that meeting, and this is the truth. When we walked away from that courtroom, I looked at my son in the car, and I said, let me explain something to you. I could have made that disappear with one phone call. Do you understand me? One phone call I could have made, and it would have disappeared. It never happened. I will never do that for you. I will never do that for you. You're guilty. But here's the point. When we appear before Jesus, when we appear before God, we appear before the judge, we are guilty. You are guilty. You were guilty. You are not and were not innocent. But God chooses to see you innocent through the lens who is Jesus Christ, through the one who paid the price. All right, we we gotta understand it. Now, do I walk now in guilt and shame? No, 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 no. I now walk without guilt and shame because of what he did for me. But let us never understand, let us never forget Justification doesn't mean I didn't do it. It doesn't mean I'm innocent. It means he chooses to see me as innocent. Treat me as innocent. Aren't you glad he chose to treat you as innocent? It's a helmet of, oh, <laughs> got ahead of myself. Justification doesn't mean we're innocent. It means God chooses to treat us as innocent. I already said that. 
And then it's another, let me give you this. And then this helmet, it's a helmet of reconciliation. All right, what does that mean? Remember what happened. My sin caused separation from God. I've got a rift between me and God. I can't do anything about it. I can't bridge that gap. I can't bridge that chasm that my sin has caused. What am I going to do? How am I going to get back to God? Can I get back to God? Is there a way back? Not on my own. Not on my own. The Bible says that Christ was reconciling ourselves to God. We were reconciled to God. Brought back. It's, a, it's, a, it's an accounting term, isn't it, Ben? When he reconciled the books, right? Ugh, I hate that stuff. But it's somebody else coming and saying, I'm going to make reconciliation between you and you. You, your debt, your debt has caused a rift between you and God. Uh, but I am going to do the work of reconciling you to God. This is what the helmet of salvation is about. There is no salvation without reconciliation. There is no salvation without substitution. There is no salvation without justification. There is no salvation without these things. And this was all performed by God for us. Okay, now stick with me. How many would like it this morning? How many would like this morning that if I got a checkbook out and paid this month's car payment for you? Well, there's some people jumping on that. I finally got an amen. Wouldn't that be good? How many like me to make your house payment for you this month? Hmm? Right? Yeah. Everybody likes that. Jim, get checkbook out and write them. Right? The old, the, the, this, this helmet of reconciliation is Jesus paying the price that you and I can be reconciled to God. Because, remember, sin is a debt we could not pay. There's nothing I can do to pay this debt. Nothing. There's nothing I could do. Remember the old song? He paid a debt he did not owe. I owe a debt I could not pay. Come on, let me sing it, Troy. I got my error keyboard out. Come on, sing it with me. <laughs> That's how we sing it in the car. He reconciled. Now, the helmet of adoption. Here's what's so cool about what God does. Do you understand this morning? So here's what he does. This is what God does. My sin caused separation between me and God. And then God says, but I'm going to work a plan of salvation. I'm going to put on my helmet of salvation. And this helmet of salvation means there's going to be a substitute that's going to take your place. And this substitute is going to do a work of redemption. And this substitute is going to reconcile you to me. And this substitute is going to make reconciliation. Okay, But you're not just going to be, and, and, and it's going to make you a son. How many of that's a good deal? Like I, I, like I go from a sinner I go from being a sinner separated from God to being a son of God. That's a good deal. Like, I, 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 this, is, this is so rich when you look at it. You see, because it's the helmet of salvation, 
reminds me and the devil, I am a son of God. You see, because I want you to understand something, remember something. The first temptation the devil threw at Jesus was this. If you are the son of God, then do this, this, and this. Isn't it funny that he wanted to Jesus to prove he was the son of God by what he did? You're not a son of God by what you do. You're a son of God because of what he did. You see, and then he comes at you. And he reminds you of your sin. And God doesn't love you because of your sin. And then he comes at you. And he's attacking you. And he's coming at you with a scheme. And all of a sudden you say, no, no, let me tell you something. See this helmet? See this? I'm a child of God. See this? I'm a son of God. You see the helmet? Read the logo. Read the logo. You see, salvation was not just saving us from sin and saving us from hell. It was providing us adoption into God's family, to becoming sons of God. To those who believe, he gave the rights to be called sons of God. It's a helmet of covenant. At the end of that scripture in Isaiah, God said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Do you know that God made a covenant with us at Calvary? It was a blood covenant that he cut with his son's blood. And how many know when God makes a covenant, listen to me this morning, when God makes a covenant, he never turns his back on it. You can walk away from that covenant. God ain't ever walking away from that covenant. The Bible says he made a new covenant. Here's what I know this morning, that I only come to him through the covenant of blood of Jesus Christ. I don't come through bulls and goats and lambs. I don't come through religious practices and religious exercises. I don't have to jump through religious hoops. I come one way, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ that God made a covenant with me, and he will always keep his covenant, always. Even when I choose to run away, he keeps his covenant with me. You may break the covenant, but he'll never break the covenant. We live in a day and age where covenants are broken constantly. Constantly broken. But we live with one covenant that's never broken. One more helmet type. You see, but all this is what makes up the helmet of salvation. Like, okay, how many times do you quote that? I'm going to put on the helmet of salvation. But what does it mean? Do you really ever give it any thought? Is it just imagery? No, it's all this. It's all of this. I am saved because he's my substitute. I'm saved. He saved me. Salvation is reconciliation, justification. How God deals with me now and my legal standing in Christ. That now I'm adopted into. And it's a covenant. And this helmet, Paul told the Thessalonians, becomes a helmet of hope. It's a helmet of hope. Listen to the scripture. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Where would we be without this hope? Have you, anybody, anybody here ever gone through some difficult things? Anybody ever gone through some attacks of the devil? Anybody ever gone through the day of evil? I can tell you what it is to have evil touch your home. And I can tell you what it is to stand firm with the helmet of salvation on my head. I can tell you what it is to stand firm and say, you know what? My hope isn't in the situation. My hope is in the God of salvation. My hope is in my salvation. That he's the one that saved me, set me free. He is the one that redeemed me. He is the one that reconciled me. He is the one that preserves me. He is the one that protects me. Come on, this morning. Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? You see, 
all of a sudden I have this hope that I, that I have a hope against hope. Now, I'm almost done. I'm leading to a point. You see, we talked about a lot of terms. Substitution, justification, reconciliation. They're all terms, theological terms. They're doctrinal terms. When you study the soteriology, which is the study of salvation. But let me say it to you this way. When we put on the helmet of salvation, we're not putting on the doctrine of salvation. We're putting on a person of salvation, Jesus Christ. You see, Paul says, Paul says, for you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. How many know this morning that we are literally, when we become saved, we are dying to self and we are putting on our new identity, a new self. And what are we, who, who are we putting on? It's not what we're putting on. You're not putting a what on. You're putting a who on. He is a who of salvation, not a what of salvation. Listen to me. Some people are trying to study the theory of salvation when what you need to do is you need to get to know the person of salvation. Because if you have the person on, you will always have the helmet on. You see, I'm going to suggest to you this morning that Jesus is the helmet of salvation. You see, because now all of a sudden, I can, I, the devil will come at you and he'll give you the works to do. No, no, I ain't doing works. I got them through Jesus. How I many know Jesus destroyed the barrier and became the door to salvation? There was a barrier that stood between us and God. Jesus kicked it down and Jesus then became the door and the pathway. Listen to me this morning. When he comes at you about your unrighteousness, you look at him and say, I am the righteousness of Christ in, in, of God in Christ Jesus. I'm wearing his righteousness. I put on Jesus. I'm not putting on theory. I'm putting on a person. What we like to do in Christianity is we like to take all these abstract things or all these things like what we, what you heard Don Norai talking one day. We like to talk about the river is here. Okay, I get it. I know what it means. A lot of people don't. What does it really mean? God is here. What does it really mean? God is here. The presence of God is here. I mean, we can just simply say God is here. Because what man likes to do is they like to take terms that they can kind of control. I'm going to put on my helmet. No, I'm putting on Christ. <laughs> I'm putting on Christ. Because I know Christ is my protection. I know Christ. You see, while we need to understand, while we need to understand the doctrine of salvation, we must know the person of salvation. Because there's no other name by which men can be saved. You can know the doctrine and still be unsaved. You can know the terms and still be unsaved. You can define them and describe them and still be unsaved. You can quote the scriptures and still be unsaved. But you can misquote the scripture, know Jesus, and still be saved. We need to know the person of salvation. You see, I would suggest to you that Jesus is the doctrine of salvation. What did I do? There we go. Think about it. We talked about substitution. Come on, Troy. Everybody says, praise Jesus. 
See, we talked about a lot of terms, substitution, reconciliation, justification. <laughs> let, me tell you, let me give it to you this way. Jesus is the doctrine of salvation because Jesus was my substitute. Jesus is my justifier. Jesus is my redeemer. Jesus is my reconciler. Jesus is the one who allows me to stand in the presence. He is the helmet of salvation. There is no salvation outside of Jesus. Don't get hoodwinked into looking for some. Oh, how do I want to say it? Because I'm all about theology. I love theology. I love doctrine. But everything always leads to Jesus. It all leads back to Jesus. Hi, Reese. What's up, dude? Are you trying to upstage me again? Hello, Bubba. Hello, Bubba. I got some cotton candy again. What's up, Bubba? Listen to me. Paul says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Paul says, it's against principalities and authorities in dark places. Paul says that the enemy has a scheme to come against us. And Paul says, stand firm. How do I stand firm? I stand firm in Jesus. I stand firm in Jesus. Call it what you want. Armor and all that stuff. I get it. But let me tell you about this. Helmet. There's only one way that you can wear the helmet, who is Jesus. And there's only one way that you can put that helmet on. By faith. It is by faith that we are saved. Not by your own works. It's the gift of God. God says, here, here's my helmet. I'm going to take what I wore. Because I wore the helmet of salvation first. And I provided it first. And I'm going to take this helmet and I'm going to take it off. And I want you to now wear it. Long before there was a Roman helmet that we could use in an analogy, there was God's helmet of salvation. That he said, I'm going to put it on. And I'm going to pour out my wrath, but not on human flesh. I'm going to pour out my wrath on sin. I'm going to pour out my wrath on the enemy, my enemies. And I'm going to do that. And it's funny. This helmet that we now wear is a helmet of armament. Which armor? It's weapon. It's a defense against the schemes of the enemy. But this harm, there also was a helmet that was a parade helmet. Yeah, baby, get it out and polish it up. It gets all fancy. Let's wear it. Yeah, we're wearing it in victory. How many know this morning we got a helmet of victory? We have a helmet of ornamental value. We have a, horn, a helmet that decorates our life. How many know today you are more beautiful because of the helmet of salvation? At least you should be. And it's also a helmet of identification. This is I am a child of God. Paul says you take your stand when the enemy comes at you. 
Take your stand. Hey, punk. See my helmet? Take a walk. See my helmet? It tells you who I am. It tells you whose I am. Who? It's not what is the helmet of salvation. It's who is the helmet of salvation. And his name is Jesus. Put on Jesus. Put on Christ. Stand firm. And pray for me. I got to go camping. I tried to stand firm when the day of evil came and she still made me go. Father, this morning, I want to say to you that we should be looking at you and say thank you, first of all, that you looked and you were astonished and amazed that there was no one that could redeem humanity. And yet your heart for humanity said, I will do it myself. Man, thank you for such great love. Thank you for such great love, such great compassion. Thank you for the Redeemer that you sent. And Father, I pray this morning that we would not take for granted the things that we have learned in church for so many years. But they become refreshed and they reinvigorate our spiritual life. That you were my substitute. You took my place. I should have been the one who died. I was the guilty one. But just like that lamb in Egypt was killed and his blood applied, you put your son on that cross for me. And Father, you said, I want to reconcile man back to me, but they cannot do it on their own. Therefore, I'll make a way, and his name is Jesus. That he'll pay that price to redeem them. the one truth that we talked about this morning be ever so real I'm not putting on a thing I'm putting on a person I'm not putting on a thing I'm putting on a person Christ Jesus who is my helmet of salvation Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. You're worthy this morning. Because you were the lamb that was slain on our behalf. Try, I don't know what you're going to sing, but you're, I, I, I do now know what you're going to sing. <laughs> sing worthy as the lamb again. Listen, listen. 
<laughs> I don't know what else to sing this morning in closing this message. We need to hear that word lamb. The lamb that was slain for the foundations of the world on your behalf. You only have a helmet of salvation because of Jesus. And he's worthy. Worthy, worthy, worthy.